Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who's excited for God's word today? Come on. Come on. We have not met. My name is Ali, and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bold five years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians could come grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people could come and explore their faith. So if you're new to church, let me tell you, you're a VIP at Bold. Come on. Can we give it up for the dream team that makes this place happen? Uh, for those of you that have been coming for several weeks, we, we gave these out for free 99, and uh, uh, we're going to jump into today's word. We are in the seventh collection in this talk, uh, walking through seven churches in the book of Revelations. I've got so much feedback from this collection of talks. I have people telling me, Pastor Ali, I love this talk. And then people probably say, when is this going to be over with? <laughs> so to all of you that either love it or hate it, we got two more weeks after today. And today is going to be a fun, la- the last two weeks, let me tell you, were very challenging and hard for me to preach and even hard for, I can see on your faces. Some of you just had fizz face for two weeks. Today's going to be a little bit more fun, amen? So if your Bibles, go with me to Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have it, don't worry, it's on your screen. When you see it, someone shout amen. amen. To the angel of the church of Sardis, someone say Sardis. Right, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Someone say wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, someone shall wake up. Wake up. I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. That just sounds bad, right? They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And every week I try to make this collection of talks, which is very challenging to preach, by the way, sticky, fun. So you memorize it, make it memorable. And every week we have a theme song. And so the great theologian, George Michael, wants to lead us in the theme song this morning. It's this. Would you play it this morning? Music, please. Maybe. We got to start over. We got to start over. No, no, no. Let's go back to the top. Okay. Thank you. Jesus is speaking to a sleeping church. Someone say, wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Now turn to the other neighbor that's still sleeping that you abandoned on church on Sunday morning and say, you got to wake up too. <laughs> Title of my sermon this morning is simply this, Roots Before Fruit. Roots Before Fruit. Let's pray because God's got a word for us this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that your word is active and alive and sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we may have walked in one way, but we want to leave out another. We want to look more like you, talk more like you, love more like you, God. We didn't just come for information, Jesus. We came for transformation. We want to look like you, Jesus. Change us, transform us. And if you believe that, everybody said? Everybody said. Can we just give up for Jesus this morning? Come on. If you are new to this collection of talks, let me just kind of recap you. This, is, this book was the last book of the New Testament. It was written in, in 90 AD. Uh, this is 60 years after Jesus was 
after he has died, he was buried in the tomb and resurrected. And of the 12 apostles that followed Jesus for three years, all 11 except for one are dead. John the apostle is the last remaining one. He's in his late 80s. He's probably wearing a diaper because he's that old. Come on. And the Roman emperor wanted him to bend his knee and worship the emperor as Lord. And John refuses, so they boil him alive. And because he doesn't die, they send him out to like, modern-day Alcatraz, an island called Patmos. So he's on this island. Imagine, he's got no Twitter. He's got no Facebook. He can't Instagram live anyone. He can't FaceTime anyone. He's all by himself on this prison, and God, Jesus, shows up. And gives him this revelation. I'm still in charge. I know Rome's in charge. I know they're persecuting you. But don't look to the government. Don't look at the president. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? You gotta realize, he's giving seven messages to seven real churches. And let me show you this map right here on the screen. Just to show you. These aren't metaphorical churches. These are real churches. And the fifth church, which is the church we're studying today, is the church of Sardis. Some will say Sardis. There's a saying in Rome that all leads... All roads lead to Rome, but there are five major roads that lead to Sardis. Sardis is a, a, a big hub. Not, it's not a port city because it's not near the ocean, but it's a major trade city. There's a lot of money in this city. This is like Silicon Valley. The, the average person in America makes $50,000, $55,000 a year. The average person in Silicon Valley, the average family, $130,000. we are balling out here in Silicon Valley. The same is true in Sardis. This is a economically wealthy. This is a prosperous city. But it's not just the, the city that's growing and thriving. The church is as well. The church is bursting at the seams. Every seat is filled. There are multiple services. But this church, listen, everything on the outside looks good, but Jesus shows up and goes, I got an issue with you. And look what he says. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Now, if you're new to church, you're like, dude, why do you guys follow this guy? This guy's kind of rude. In the words of my daughter, you're rude. That's what she says to me when I correct her. Daddy, you're being rude. And if you don't understand, this is a father speaking to his children. Like Every morning, my wife and I, listen, it's World War III whenever it's school season. School starts tomorrow. It, it, I don't know why it takes my kids an hour and a half to do four things. Change. Eat breakfast, brush their teeth, and brush their hair. I, I have to almost put them up for adoption. It's so difficult. And, and once a week, my four-year-old will come out in shorts, pajamas, hair looking like Mowgli from the Jungle Book. I'm ready for school, Dad. I'm like, you look like a vagabond. You look like a homeless. Daddy, you're rude. And I'm not saying that because I'm mean. I'm saying because I love her. These are words of love. God loves this church, and he's calling them out. He's like, bro, you got this reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And there's this church, I wrote it like this, Chardis, Sardis is a church where people attend, but they're not being transformed. They're around God, but they're not looking like God. You're studying him, but you don't know him personally. Anyone here love Taylor Swift? I know I make fun of her once a week. Listen, I just do it to keep you paying attention. But as much as you love her, listen, none of you know her. You may go to her concerts. You may sing every song with her. But listen, you don't know what her favorite food is. Maybe you're a stalker and you know that, by the way. But the point I'm trying to make is you can study Taylor Swift, know all the facts about her, but you don't have a relationship. God is not like that. And this is a church that's studying God, but they don't know him intimately. 
This is a church that goes to church, but they're not living the church life. They're, they're, they're around the things of God, but they're not looking like God. One theologian, he says it like this. He says, Sardis is the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. So they're doing things, but they weren't doing the things that God actually cared about. They're, it's a social gathering, not a resurrection gathering. And you have to understand, why is this church behaving this way? Well, the problem is, it's very different than the other seven churches we studied. In every other church, there's persecution. Every other church, there's financial pressure. In every other church, Christians are going to jail. They're being killed. None of that is happening in Sardis. These are just balling out Christians, living their good life. There's no pressure. There's no persecution. They are living in comfort. And they're looking at God and saying, God, we got no problems. And God's like, yes, but I got a problem with you. And one theologian, he says it like this. This is George Eldon. He says, Sardis is a picture of nominal Christianity. Outwardly prosperous, but busy with, external and of, busy with the externals of religious activity. Devoid of spiritual life and power. And he's like, I don't care about your reputation. I don't care how many services you have, how many people are coming. You're dead. You have acclimated to the culture and to the values. You're called to be in the world, but not of it. And this church was in it and of it. And there's not two value systems that we live by. It's not like you live like an American and then you go to heaven and then you live like a Christian. God wants you to live like that now, not when you get there, right? I'm talking about the, the, the values that we live should not just come from our lips. They should be evident in our feet. And what Jesus is saying to this church is if someone followed you home, Sardis, and saw the way you raised your kids on Monday, how you went to work Monday through Friday, and how you hung out with your friends on Saturday, there would be no evidence that you're a Christian outside of that one hour where you're singing karaoke and singing songs from Australia on Sunday morning. (laughs) Outside of that, there's no way we could know. And that's what Jesus is saying. Man is looking at the outside, but I look at the inside. Man will look at the, the growth, the numbers. I look at the heart. So there are things that God sees that you and I don't see. We see a room full of people. God sees people who are physically here, but listen, mentally and spiritually absent. So the question is this, what does God see? What does God see? Do you see what God sees? And as a parent, this is a constant struggle I have with my kids. My kids will come in the room, dad, I can't find my toy. (laughs) Like crocodile tears, crying their eyes out. And I'm like, what did you miss? Because I just know it's somewhere in the house. Zoe, like, this red book. She loves this little red book. I go, Zoe, did you check the bookshelf? She's like, yes, I looked everywhere, Dad. I go, did you look in this room? Dad, I looked everywhere. Crocodile tears. I'll walk into her room. I go, Zoe, this is the book. Is, is this the book? <gasps> and that's what often God is doing. He's showing up. And he's like, don't you see what I see? How can you not see this? And he's rebuking them. And the the problem is that we often don't see what God sees. We are so focused on the external. Dressing up to church, coming in, how are you? Blessed and highly favored the Lord, how are you? (laughs) And the last time we even spoke to God was a week ago when we were in this room. And God's saying, stop playing games. You can do it with everybody else. You can't fake the funk with me. And Jesus says these words in Revelation chapter 3. Someone say, wake up up. before you (laughs) go-go. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. 
There's this metaphor that Jesus is saying. He's saying, you're not connected anymore. Strengthen what means. Be, come back to me. Be, abide in me. Come, come be connected to me again. And it's not the first time he's used this metaphor. In John chapter 15, Jesus is quoting John. The apostle is quoting Jesus. And he says these words in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And there are seven I am statements in the gospel of John. I am the, the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. All these seven revelations are revealing who God is. God, Jesus is not a prophet. He's not a good guy. He's saying, I'm the source of life. If you're not connected to me, you are spiritually dead. It doesn't matter how many homeless people you feed. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. I'm the only way you're going to live. You have to be connected to me. I'm the true vine. And he says, and the father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I love this word and I love this promise because it reminds me of grapes. Show of hands. Does anyone use Instacart? Anyone use Instacart? Can we start on a petition to get Trader Joe's on Instacart? I don't want to go to the store anymore. That's the only reason I have to leave my house. This is just me on a soapbox for a second. I'll get off it. But has anyone in the room, real question, have you ever gone grocery shopping with one kid? Put your hand up high. These people have anxiety, by the way. Now let's raise the stress level up a little bit. Anyone here shop, go grocery shopping with two kids. Pray for these people. Mental health issues to the max. I've only done it two or three times. Every time I've left, wanted to put my kids up for adoption. Because when I'm pushing the grocery cart, they both want to put stuff inside. And Sophie, like, Sophie, can you go grab the grapes? And Sophie will run over. She's my seven-year-old. She'll put them. And then my four-year-old will be like, Daddy, I want to do that. And I'll do the logical thing. I'll pull it out of the shopping cart, and I'll hand it to Zoe. She's like, no, Dad. I have to do a real one. So she'll get another pair of grapes. And so, so we have double of everything in our house during that one time I take her. Pray for me. We waste a lot of food because of my kids. But if you ever notice grapes, what's so interesting is every grape has a vine on it. Every grape is bearing fruit. Even though the vine is no longer connected, it still is sustaining the grapes that are there. But this is a physical picture of what spiritual sardis is. They are bearing fruit, but they're no longer connected. They got activity, they got services, they're they're going to groups, they're serving, but they're bearing fruit, not from what they're doing with God today, but what they did in the last season. The way that they pursued God in the last year. And and you could never tell from the outside that they're dead because they got fruit. I want to challenge you, There there are four ways this morning that you can bear fruit in your life and not be connected to the root. The first one is this, coast coast or, or coasting. Anyone ever gone jet skiing before? Anyone ever gone tubing before? I've never gone jet skiing, but I've gone tubing on this big 12-foot inner tube, and you, get, you hold on to this rope, and you're sitting down, and this, you're being pulled across this lake, and it's super fun. I wish the boat we were with went even faster. You can stand. You can go on your knees. I remember we would we'd go with my friends, and we would throw friends off, like wrestle on this inner tube, 
But when you're holding on to this rope, even when you let go, you're still moving. Because you're moving not based on the current energy, but the momentum of last season. And then what happens eventually is you stop moving forward and you begin to sink. And that's when Christians say, oh, I'm so burnt out. I'm so like tired. And, the, and it's like, you're blaming what's happening in that season, but that's not the case. The, the problem is you stopped spending God with six months ago. And no one could tell because you got fruit from six months ago. But eventually, you can't coast anymore. Eventually, you're going to slow down. Eventually, you're going to sink in the water and you're going to blame everyone else around you. But it's your fault. That's how you have fruit in your life, even though you're not connected to the root. Second one is this. Conserve. I got to confess, my wife and I, we have a man crush on our air fryer. We don't even use our oven anymore. I don't know how this thing works, but in the old days, before the air fryer, we would have to buy food and immediately cook it. Because whenever we take food out of the, the freezer, it just didn't taste good in the oven. But there's like voodoo magic happening in this air fryer. It could be there for two or three months, and it tastes absolutely fresh. I'm like, how? I want to get rid of my oven. I just want to like abandon it. I want to put something, I want to, uh, something else right there. And listen, what you do with steak, you cannot do with God. Some of you are freezing. Some of you are conserving. You're, you're spending time with God, and you did it last season. You got saved. You got baptized. You went to Rooted, and you started spending time with God every single day. Someone catch this. And you, there was a season where you were walking with God every day. You were hearing his voice. You were growing, and then Rooted ended. And then you put what you learned in the freezer and say, I don't need to study anymore. And you think you could microwave what God wants to teach you. It does not work that way. And then I hear this all the time from Christians. Pastor Alec, I've known God for like 20 years. Relax. Can I speak to both of you for a moment? It's not what you know that brings life. It's who you know that brings life. It's on the screen. It's not what you know, it's who you know. This is not microwave Christianity. You cannot cruise control into your tomorrow. And the fruit that you have today will not bring victory tomorrow. It may sustain you for a day or two, but eventually, please pick that up later on. (laughs) But eventually, you're coasting. And no one else around you can see it except for you. Because you're not biting. And Jesus says, I know your reputation. I know you look alive. I know you got fruit. But you're no longer abiding in me. You're no longer spending time with me. You're no longer connected to the, to the true vine. Third one is, is this, consume. Consume. And this is the one that's going to maybe challenge some of you. It's when you come to church, you're actually eating other people's fruit. You're eating the sacrifice and the sowing of seeds of other people, they're serving, they're giving, they're sacrificing, and it tastes good to come to church and not to do anything. You're eating someone else's fruit, but eventually, I hate to say it this way, you gotta take your diapers off. And you gotta, you gotta sow what others are sowing. You gotta give what others are giving. Why? Because God served you so you can serve someone else. God set you free so you can help someone else be free. God loved you so now it's your time to love, love someone else. And church, listen, I wrote like this. My fruit grows on other people's trees. That's the mark of maturity. It's not just me spending time with God. It's me helping other people spend time with God. And it's not just my fruit, which is the very thing that babies think about. Feed me, give me, help me. 
But when my child, she's seven now, she doesn't even need me anymore to make her breakfast. She just goes and gets Cinnamon Toast Crunch. God bless her warm heart. I can sleep in now. Because that's the mark of maturity. She can feed herself. Babies. hate to say it this way. Babies say, feed me. Because I can't do it myself. How do you have fruit without being connected? Will you conserve, consume, coast? And number four is this. Convenience. I see this all the time in church. They, people come to church with their to-go bag. They'll come, like, oh my gosh, I love Jesus. He's awesome. He set me free. I had fear and anxiety. He set me free. He, I had uh, de- depression, and he, and he changed my life. My marriage was falling apart, and he, and he helped me. And then I'm going to take what God did, and I'm done. I'm going to leave church. i got to do my own thing now. God, would you bless my thing? And God does not want to bless your thing. God wants you to bless him. God wants you to be part of a church, not just attend a church. Church is not a building, by the way. Church is a people. That's why in Psalm 92 it says this, those who are planted, someone say planted, in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the house of my God. Because you can get saved, you can get healed, and then leave and take your fruit to go. But eventually it will die, eventually it will be gone. Because this is not a to-go box message. This is a remain message. Because there's one vine it's not a teaching. It's not a podcast. It's Jesus. It's being connected to him. I wrote like this. Are you rooted in God? Now, let me give you an analogy. Let's say there's a cute girl at church, right? Let's say she can bench 200 pounds and squat a lot of weight. Let's say she loves fashion. I'm like, this is a hottie with a body. I want this girl, right? And I start dating her. And eventually, I get down on one knee, you know, like, do, do you want to form an alliance with me, right? <laughs> I'm trying to make this interesting. Let's, let's say I bend down on one knee. I'm like, hey, girl, I don't want to just date you to marry you. I want to marry you so I can date you for the rest of my life. Come on. That's different. So I'm on my knee, and let's say I say, girl, do you want to form an alliance? And she says, yes. I got, I got her. She's mine now. What do you think would happen if I got, now that she's mine, she's got a ring on it. Let's say I got busy with work and I only had time to see her once a week. What do you think would happen if I didn't have time to see her in person, but I can only FaceTime her once a month online? And yet you would know that that relationship would eventually break down. And you would have, you would all pause and never do that to a woman. But yet we would do that exactly to God. Where the moment we get saved, the moment we get baptized, the moment we, we hear his voice and get connected and we start this relationship, we don't treat him we would, would a person. The question is, are you, I'm not even asking if you're doing religious activity. I'm saying, are you connected to him? Because Christianity is a relationship. In the same way that my relationship with my wife would eventually break down if I only saw her once a week, if I only FaceTimed her once a month. And I'm grateful for online church, but you got to get in the room. God wants to do something here. He wants to speak to you here. He wants to connect with you personally here. Eventually, your relationship would break down. That's why Jesus says these words. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God wants to bear fruit 
Not just when you get saved, not just when you get baptized, not just in one season of your life when you first come to Christianity and you're on fire for God and then life happens and you're like, yeah, I don't got time for that. God wants it every season of your life. And he continues, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Someone say nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. Eventually, when you eat all the grapes, let me do this as fast as I can, all that's left is the vine. And it can't bear fruit in the future because it's not connected. Oh, Oh, it had fruit in the past, but eventually... The coasting, the conserving, the consuming, the convenience will expose itself. And that's what's happening to Sardis. They have spiritual life, but they're actually not connected. They're bearing fruit, but not in this season, but what they did in the last season. And eventually, because this is worthless, God just tosses this out. My wife and I, we we love going to Napa, even though we don't like wine. (laughs) We love hanging out in wine country because it's just relaxing. The busyness of the Silicon Valley isn't there. It's, there's a lot of nature. And honestly, there's no kids there. That's why I love it. <laughs> Especially my kids aren't there. That's when it's a real vacation. And in 2020 and 2021, I'm not sure if you remember this, but there were huge wildfires in the Napa and Sonoma County. So much so that many of the wineries were burned down completely. And my wife and I would drive through these wineries. You would just see Acre after acre, just completely burned. And when we talked to the locals, they would say, man, it, it's going to be a long season of restoration, of replanting before we bear fruit. I'm like, aren't you going to bear fruit? Aren't you going to plant and bear fruit immediately? And they said, no, 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 no. And this is the quote that I remember one of, one of the workers telling me. He said this. He says, our focus is on developing a really extensive root system rather than producing grapes right away. So often we will look at someone else's life. We'll look at their marriage. We'll look at the, the way that they raise their kids. We're like, oh my gosh, they're so gentle. They're so loving. And we'll look at the fruit. And we're like, I want that in my life. That's what I want. And what replanting is to wineries is what repenting is in the spiritual world. What, what removing and throwing away what doesn't work is what's called repentance in the house of God. Jesus says this in Revelation chapter 3, remember, someone say remember. Therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. Don't just feel bad for not bearing fruit. Change your life. Change your life. Don't just read the verse when it's on the screen for an hour here at church. Go home. Go home and spend time with God. I love when people say, Pastor Alec, when I was little, my grandmother would take me to church. Yes, but your grandmother's faith can't change you, can't save you. You have to develop your own faith. I see all the time, you see one spouse receives God and they're dragging the other one. And eventually it's like, bro, you have to receive faith. You can't live off your spouse's faith. You have to have that faith. And so often we look at someone's life and we're like, I want their fruit. But it's their hidden life. It's the life you don't see. It's the part you don't see on Sundays that changes them. And this is the part that I want to speak to. Because anyone can come to church on Sunday. You look fresh. You go to Zara, looking fresh, right? Get your lashes done. You blink. There's a a breeze in the room. (laughs) 
I'm not uncomfortable. <laughs> it's the part, though, that you don't see. Because there's this book by the name of a theologian called Richard Foster, and he says this is God's root system. If there's one picture I want you to take, it's this one. This is the root system. It's prayer. It's Bible reading. It's memorization. It's silence and solitude. It's Sabbath. It's submission. It's worship. It's fellowship. It's serving and giving. And notice of this list of 10 things, none of them say church attendance. Not that going to church isn't important. Believe me, it's very important. So important that the Bible says in Hebrews, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. But these things bear fruit. In the same way that this plant, this olive tree, will never produce olives unless it has roots that get water, roots that give it nutrients, roots that keep it alive. You will never bear fruit in your life by just coming to church on Sunday. Do you have a root system? And that root system is not Sunday attendance. The, the scriptures assume attendance. But saying you, you can't just spend time with God in a room with other people. Do you go home? And when no one's looking, spend time with him. Because this is not a religion of things to do. This is a relationship to someone to know. And I wrote like this, when you lose your connection to Jesus, what was once a movement becomes a monument. What once was the day that God set you free from alcohol. You lived with a spirit of fear. You had depression you had unforgiveness towards your parents. Maybe a sibling stabbed you in the back. There was a friend that hurt you. And then God came into your life. And it changed your value system. And there was this freshness. There's the language we use in the church. You're on fire for God. It's just saying he's doing a new thing, a fresh thing. He's burning away the old ways. And he's allowing you to come to life. And there's this freshness, this movement of God. A movement is what God does now. A monument is what God did in the past. And you could hear it in the way Christians talk. What does God do in your life today? Oh, when I was in high school, he did. Oh, oh last season he did. I love to ask this question. What is God speaking to you today? And I'm making it a now word, a fresh word, because our God is a speaking God. And God doesn't build monuments. God builds movements. That's why when you come to Growth Track, I say, do you want to join this movement and the moment you love more what God did in the past versus what God's doing right now, you're the church of Sardis. And the church of Sardis, listen, was a church that was materially alive, but they were spiritually dead. And Jesus saying, I don't want to hear about your attendance. I don't want to hear about your reputation. You are dead. Just going through the motion. You're physically there. You are mentally, spiritually, and emotionally absent. It's so easy to be in the house of God and have peace, but it's the peace of the dead. To have rest, but the rest of sleeping Christians. To have comfort, but it's the comfort because you live like everyone else in the culture. Friends, may we not love the memories of the past more than the love of the, of the future. So what do you do when Jesus says your faith is dead, even though you got fruit? Revelation chapter 3, again, Jesus quoting the great theologian, George Michael. Wake up. Before you go, go. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Someone say received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Notice these two words are past tense. What you received, what you already have in your hand and heard. Someone say heard. Heard. 
not what you need to hear, because I already told you what to do. We often think we need a fresh word. God's like, no, no, no. Just go listen to the last thing I told you. Just do that, and you'll be good. James chapter 1 reminds me of this. Says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the scriptures, the Bible calls the perfect law, that gives freedom. The Bible wants to set you free and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I, got, I have this very, my wife and I have this very unique advantage that we hear all the stories of life change in our church, not just the good, but the bad as well. I, I see the stories of God breaking addictions, changing people's lives, redeeming families, on the verge of divorce, and now they're staying together, not just for them, but for their future generations. But the other side, I don't just see the good. Sometimes I see the bad too. Get nervous. I get people all the time, at least once a month, say, Pastor Al, your sermons are a little baby. They're, they're not deep enough for me. They're not like, I need, I need more meat. I, I need something with more depth. I, your sermons are good for baby believers, but like I'm like really mature and like I'm really awesome. Can you go a little bit deeper? And I, I just gotta be honest, you're right. Sometimes I could get better as a communicator. I'm working on that, but can I challenge you for a second? Because okay, I, I, I'm not the only one that needs to change. I'm trying to get better as a communicator. How about this? Does your obedience match your hunger? Do you want to obey everything you're studying? Is theology something you want in your head but not in your heart? Or do you just want to study God but not look like him? If you do, that's the problem. The problem is we have a, a consumeristic culture that we are literally, we're like this, the average Christian is addicted to information but allergic to transformation. I read an article this last week that says the average American today listens to nine hours of podcasts, books, or content a week, and 20% of that being religious in nature, which means the, the point of the article was we're consuming more Christian content than ever before in human history, and I would make the argument we are the least obedient Christian in human history. We know so much, and we look like God so little. Because we're addicted to information. And there's this push, be deeper, give me more. And the question is, are you going to do anything with what I've given you? What's the point of going deep if your obedience isn't deep? What's the point of studying more if you haven't even obeyed the last thing? That I got? If we just took the teachings of Jesus, he gives two, the great commandment and the great commission. Love God with all of your heart. All of your strength. All of your heart. Your marriage would change. Your parenting would change. Your coworkers would know a difference. Can we make the commission great again? Jesus says, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations. We want to be a disciple. We don't want to make disciples. So often we want to go into the deep things of God. We want knowledge but not transformation. And Jesus is speaking to this. He's challenging this. What's so interesting is that the church of Sardis, they, because they were so wealthy, they had the best walls that surrounded the city. They had the, the highest walls, the, the best fortification. They had walls that protected the city like no other city because they were bawling in wealth. And yet twice they were ransacked and robbed. 
And it wasn't because they were weak. And it wasn't because they didn't have resources. It's because at the watchtowers, there was no one watching. They weren't protecting what God gave them. What a, what a physical picture of a spiritual reality. God has given you so much. Are you protecting the deposit that God's given you? We gotta protect. We gotta protect this, this life that God's given us. It cost him his blood to set us free. You don't need to come to church. Salvation is a gift that God gives on a cross. The, the work of a Christian is to have faith in what he does. But if you don't have obedience, then maybe he didn't change you. But are you protecting this deposit that God's given you? Is this just a book or is this the most precious book in your life? And that's what Jesus is trying to challenge the church. You used to love me. You used to be excited about coming to church. And now you're more excited about your outfit. You used to sing these songs to me when I broke you from addiction, when I set you free from mental health, when you used to live with this spirit of fear. And now you're just checking your phone for fantasy football. Are you more excited about what's at brunch or what I did on a cross for you? You can be at church, but your heart can be far from God. That's the challenge of Sardis. And this isn't a word for everyone. This is a word for only you because no one can tell that's you because when even my wife and I look at you, all we see is fruit. But only Jesus sees that you're not connected to him anymore. And you can fake it for a season, but eventually you'll run out of fruit. And that's the challenge is to come back, that God loves you enough to call you out same way I do my kids, you look like a homeless person. <laughs> Go change, girl. Revelations 3 says this, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And every season of, of my wife and I's parenting, we're trying to teach our kids something new. When my daughter was six months old, I would have her do curls so she could hold the bottle up by herself because I, I didn't want to hold it up. I'm being, that's a true story. When she was nine months old, I'd have her do squats because I wanted her walking. I can't lie. I'm going to tell the truth. When she was two and a half, three, I'm like, girl, we're getting potty trained. We gotta do, I'm done with diapers. We're in this phase that I think knowing many of you in this room, it's going to be a 20 or 30 year, year journey. It's called obedience. And that's me making fun of you, by the way. You're not laughing. I'm laughing. And I'll talk to my daughter like, Zoe! Because she'll eat and leave her dinner plate on the table. I go, Zoe, honey, I love you. It's not that nice, though, by the way. I can't, I don't want to scare you, what, how I actually talk to her. I go, Zoe. She goes, yeah. I'm like, honey, you left your dinner plate. I'll take care of it, Dad. And I'll just wait. I go, Zoe, can you come take your dinner plate? I'm coming, Dad. You're not. Zoe, Dad, I'm coming. Girl, stop moving your lips. Start moving your feet. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't need a three-year plan for you to figure this out. I don't need you to pray about this. Go to your life group and talk about what it would look like if you started following. Do it today. Repent today. Come back today because God loves you in the same way that I'm calling my daughter out because if she doesn't learn discipline, she, her life is going to be hard. God's trying to save you from heartbreak down the road. Not because he wants to control your life. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless you. 
Revelations 3 says, Yet I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white. Someone say white. One of the reasons why we wear white wedding dresses for our culture, it was not the case until this verse, until the book of Revelations. Because when Jesus comes back for his church, when Jesus comes back for his bride, he clothes her in white, even though she's not pure. If you're new to this church, if you're new to Christianity, let me tell you, this room is full of jacked up sinners. But God is going to clothe us in purity, which is what white represents, not because of our righteousness, because God's giving us his righteousness. And he's saying, if you remain in me, I'm going to give you white clothes. I will never blot the name of the person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And that day, every city had a book. They would write the names of you, your family, everyone. And if you did anything bad, they would cross your name out in that book and you could never do anything of value in that city again. And Jesus is saying, I know they got a book, but listen, my book is better than that book. This book opens the gates of heaven. This book changes your eternity. Don't fear their book, fear my book. And he's calling out in a loving fashion. And I love these last words. Last verse. Whoever has ears, someone say ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you haven't noticed the last five weeks, we've read this sentence five times. This sentence right here is it to every single church. It's the only thing that Jesus repeats. And I, it's so encouraging for me. I don't know why, but it hit me this week more than any other week. Here is John, 80 years old. He's got bandages all over his body because they tried to boil him. He's by himself. He has nothing to offer God. He doesn't have youth. He doesn't have an Instagram platform. He's got no clout. This man is abandoned and alone. And Jesus says, I can still use you because you're giving me your ear. And I want to encourage some of you in this room, God wants to use you, but will you give him your ear? Will you just listen? God wants to speak life to you. When my wife and I correct my kids, it's not from a place of anger. It's from a place of love. And in the same way, God has a message for you. He wants to change your life. He wants to transform you. He wants to bless you and bless you abundantly. But will you give him an ear? But you can't just give him your ear. Every time my wife and I, sometimes during the summertime, we'll go to a friend's house. My brother-in-law, he has this, this log cabin fire thing in his backyard. And it's awesome because it will keep you warm. But if you don't add new wood, if you don't do new things, eventually the fire will die. And it's a picture of our spiritual walk. I'm grateful that some of you serve. I'm grateful that you give and you went to Growth Track and you went to Rooted. But that was last season. What are you doing today to be connected to the vine? I wrote like this. If, if when you're a follower of Jesus, every new season takes new sacrifice. And the way we, we challenge you this, we ask this question all the time, what's your next step? What's your next step? I'm, I'm grateful that you love God and you serve him, you follow him, but today's a new day. And Jesus is the true vine. And he doesn't want you to live on yesterday's manna. He wants to give you fresh manna. He doesn't want you coasting. He wants to give you life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, question is, what's your next step?
some of you, it's, you've been exploring Christianity and it's time to go public with your faith in baptism. Others of you, you've been trying to do Christianity alone. You, you've been coming on Sundays, but you've got to find community. You, you can't do Christianity alone. You need other believers. Some of you, you've been coming for weeks, if not months, some of you years, and you still haven't joined the dream team. You're consuming other people's fruit. It's time to help other people grow in theirs. Some of you, it's time to become faithful with giving because you've never done that before. The question is, what's your next step? With every eye closed and every head bowed, God, thank you so much for this message you give the church of Sardis that you're not angry with us, that you want to give us life. And sometimes, God, you don't mince words. You call it like it is. Not to hurt us, but to help us. Help us see your words in the proper perspective. Help us see that you're a loving Father. That sometimes, God, the way we live our life does not benefit us and help us. It hurts us. And you're calling us out to another way. You're calling us out. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to every person in this room, personally, what their next step is. Encourage them to take that next step. I know they're going to be scared. I know they're going to be fearful. God, encourage them to take that step of faith, whatever it is, whether it's serving for the first time, going public with their faith. Everyone has a next step. For some of you, I need to tell you the gospel, that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he was always God, but he became a man 2,000 years ago. He was born of a virgin. And the gospel is that God created the world perfect, but we messed it up. And the problem of sin is too large for us to deal with ourselves. We can't do good things. We can't do religious activity. We cannot work and earn our way out of sin. The only solution is that God must become a man and die in our place for sin. And that's what Jesus came to do came to take upon our sin upon himself. And then he offers you this, this gift of salvation, of new life. But you have to receive it. You have to want it. You have to repent and give him your sin. And he'll give you white clothes of righteousness with every eye closed and every head bowed. If that's you this morning and you want to start a relationship with the living God, Jesus, the one who called you to this church, the one who's speaking to you right now. He's alive. He's not a God to be studied. He's a God to be, to be known and experienced. And he's revealing himself to you. And he wants to walk with you. But you got to give him your sin. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, I want to count to three. I want you to shoot your hand up if you want to pray this prayer with me. One, two, Three, shoot your hand up if that's you this morning. I see your hand. I see your hand. Just pray this prayer out loud, everyone. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you lived a sinless life, that you died the death I should have died, that you took upon my sin. I repent. I turn from my ways and I choose to follow you. 
I receive your gift of salvation. As much as I understand now, I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give it up for the hands that went up? Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.